Thank you for joining us today. For more information about our service times, visit okoegt.com. Also, stay in touch with us on social media by liking us on Facebook and following us on Instagram at okoegt. Now let's prepare our hearts as we go into the message. Bless the Lord. Hey, take your Bible, whether it's in book form or digital form, and I want you to hold it high in the air and say this after me. This is my Bible, God's holy word. I am what it says I am. I will do what it says for me to do. I place myself under the authority of God's word. It says I am blessed, therefore I am blessed. It says I am healed, therefore I am healed. It says I am an overcomer, therefore I overcome. Every obstacle, every challenge, and every hindrance, through the name above every name, Jesus Christ. I open my heart. I open my mind to receive God's word. I receive this word and I confess this word in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now take that same Bible and turn with me to the epistle of 1 John. 1 John chapter 4. We're going to preach from this passage beginning in verse 7 before we take communion together. 1 John 4, verses 7 through 12, reading out of the New Living Translation. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God. God, for God is love. I love verse 9. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we love God but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Now, dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. Here, John is writing a letter to the family of God. That we are to love one another. Earlier in John's epistle, he writes about our victory. That is, our victory is assured. He says that you belong to God. He says that you have already won. Notice verse 4. You've already won a victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. 
I love that phrase. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The late Dr. Bill Bright stated, when you represent the Lord Jesus Christ as his disciple, you can be assured that you are representing the one who possesses all power, all wisdom, and all authority. You have everything when you have him. Church, hear that. You have everything when you have Christ. No power can resist you as you go in obedience and faith as his ambassador. You have the promise that John just wrote about. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We are assured as the church that the gates of hell will not prevail against you. And the more you understand who Christ is and all that he has done and all that he will do for you and through you, the more completely you will want to trust him, the more completely you will want to obey him and serve him. John said, my children, you belong to God. You have already won. So may you and I live with such confidence. May you and I live with such conviction. Let's look first of all about the charge of friends. Love one another. Write this. Our purpose. I think it's safe to say that a lot of people are looking for their purpose in life, that which they were meant for or born for. When you think of our purpose as children of God, what do you think of? Do you think of what you do, what your career may be? Or do you think of what you are called to do or to be? Notice what John says, and he's talking again to the church, the family of God. He says, dear friends, love one another. He's talking to the household of believers. Now, allow me to propose a hypothesis to you. The subject of love and loving one another is a prominent theme in the writings of the aged apostle. It is a theme that he continues to come back to over and over again in the writings of the aged apostle. It is said in John's gospel, chapter 13, verse 23, the disciple Jesus love was sitting next to Jesus at the table. Now, most theologians agree that this was most likely John himself. So think about this. Could it be the relationship John had with Jesus and the impact Jesus had on his life so affected him that this message of love this message of love gained such a prominence in his life that it became his life's message. Barnes, in his notes on the New Testament, writes, 
The subject is one on which John dwells more than on any other, that subject of love. His own character inclined him to exercise into this exercise of love. And the remarkable affection which the Lord Jesus had shown for him seems to have had the effect to give this grace a peculiar prominence in his views of what constituted true religion. Often, because of God's specific work in a person's life, one often develops a theme or a message for their life. What is your theme? What is the message of your life? Think about mercy. Because a person may feel like they've been extended mercy beyond the ordinary. This, this message of mercy becomes prominent in their life. And this seems to be the case for John. It is not that other themes are not addressed, but this one so affected his life that he keeps coming back to it time and time again. So what is the theme? If you had to write down a theme in your life when it came to your experience with God, what would it be? Would it be love? Would it be grace? Would it be forgiveness? Would it be mercy? Would it be redemption? What is your life theme? Write this word, continue. Looking back at verse 7, he says, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. It is something that they should already be doing, and it's a continuation of what has already taken place. It's a continuation of a natural reaction to what God has done for us. So the phrase, let us continue to love, comes from a Greek word which means to have a strong affection, a love for a person and their good as understood by God's moral character especially characterized by a willing forfeiture of rights or privileges in another person's behalf. It is that of which Jesus says a love that lays one's life down for another. Now again, he's writing to the family. He's writing to the church. Now what composes the church is people from all walks of life, people from all backgrounds and cultures and ethnicities, people from different experiences. They've come out of darkness, but now they're saved and the church is to be a, a, a microcosm of what, of what God intends humanity to be. And that is to love one another. That is to lay down your life for someone else, to sacrifice your needs for the needs of someone else. God is love. Go down to verse 8 just for a moment. And before we look at the second part of verse 7, let's jump to the second part of, of verse 8 because all that is said flows out of this truth. And it's this, God is love. The very love of God is sacrificial in nature. It is a revealing kind of love. It is a love that pursues the object loved. 
John wrote in his gospel in chapter 13, verse 35, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. The love that you display among the family, the love that you display among the community of believers will prove that you are my disciples. And if you back up one chapter to 1 John chapter 3, verse 14, it says, if we love our brothers and sisters who are believers, it proves that we have passed from death to life. What does it prove? It proves that we've passed, that we've been translated from death to life. But a person who has no love is still dead. So now drop back to verse 7. With this thought in mind, God is love. The second part of verse 7, anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. The old English, the King James says, that loveth is born of God. How many can remember back in the late 70s, early 80s, or even about the mid-70s in the church, there was a, a little song we used to sing all the time. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. Beloved, let us love one another, First John 4, 7 and 8. You remember that? You had to get that, First 7 and 8. Going back to chapter 3 of 1 John, verse 16, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his love for us. See, the church is to be an example to the world of what a transformed life can be. For we are loving one another as Christ has loved us. We come out of Easter because we celebrate the gift of God to the world found in his son, Jesus. Jesus laid his life down. It's the sacrificial love of God. And we should lay our life down one for the other. The expression, everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. That born of God is best uh, understood and explained by the reference in the, in the fourth gospel. Chapter 1, verse 12 says, To everyone who believes, to them he gave the power to become sons of God. When you believe, you're, you're born of God. Jesus, talking to Nicodemus in chapter 3 of John's gospel, said, You must be born again. See, when we are born again, his love is shed abroad in our life. A love begins to burst forth in our life, and we love from that point of reference. Forgive one another, even as he has forgiven you. Love one another, because he is love, and he loves you. The church is the example to the world of what the transforming power of Jesus Christ can do. They that loveth know God. His point is that love for one another is evidence that a person has been born of God and knows God because such love comes from God. 
Now, let me state something. Does this mean if I love my wife, my cat, my dog, then I'm going to heaven because I've been born again? Because I love? Listen to what Barnes writes. This cannot mean that everyone that loves his wife and children, his classmates, his partners in business, or his friends, his house or his farms or his horses, his house, is a child of God. It must be understood as referring to the point under discussion. A man may have a great deal of natural affection toward his kindred, a great deal of benevolence in his character towards the poor and needy, and still may have none of the love by which John refers. He may have no real love to God, to the Savior, or to the children of God as such. And it would be absurd for such a one to argue because he loves his wife and children that therefore he loves God and is born of God. So think about this. Is this not the argument our law society argues today? This love, Christian love, is born out of righteous character of God. It flows from the self-giving nature of God. This love is righteous and holy, for it loves people to the point of rescue. It loves people to the point of transformation. It loves people to the point of change. And then verse 8, the reverse is also true. Anyone who loves like Jesus loved and has the love of his Christian brother and sister is born of God. And he comes from God and is a part of the family of God. But verse 8 says, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So naturally it comes the question, how does this love translate, write this, to believers? Again, going back to John's gospel, chapter 13, verse 35, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. I think all of us would agree that the world is full of hate and bitterness. The world is divided. We're divided by tribes. We're divided by ethnicity. We're divided by cultures. We're divided by our likes and dislikes. We're divided by our politics. We're divided by so Many things, but the church is the place where we come together, where the Spirit of God unites us from different walks of life, different ethnicities, different backgrounds, different cultures, different experiences, different lives coming together and transformed by the spirit of the living God. And suddenly those things began to melt away. Those things no longer matter because now we know how to love one another because we're loving through the love whereby we've been changed. And the spirit of God is working and moving in us. That's the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You'll be known not by your dress, not by how you look, not by even your speech. You'll be known by how you love. That's believers. Now write this. Let's talk about the lost. Let me use an analogy of firefighters. We got a couple of firefighters here. 
Imagine seeing a group of firefighters polishing their engine outside a burning building with people trapped at the top floor window. Now, obviously, there is nothing wrong with cleaning a fire engine, but not while people are trapped in a burning building. Instead of ignoring their cries, the firefighters should have an overwhelming sense of urgency to rescue them. And how many are thankful for our first responders? You're thankful for our firefighters that risk their lives, our, our police officers that risk their lives, those that keep law and order in society. We're thankful for them. But how absurd would it be for a firefighter to be polishing the fire engine while there's a fire going on? Hmm. How absurd will it be for us just to live our life and not be concerned about those going to hell? We take that analogy and we think, oh, that would be horrendous. But how horrendous is it for the church not to give to missions? Not to raise up missionaries and send them. Not to share our faith with the laws. What would it be? How horrendous would it be for us to hold this life-saving message to ourselves and not proclaim it to those in our community? Yeah. It's imperative that we love like Jesus loved. Which brings us to this grand theme of the reason we love. And you'll find it here in verse 9 and verse 10. The reason we love is because God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. You remember back in verse 7, it stated that love comes from God. And the significance of this statement, love comes from God, is further explained and expounded upon in verse 9 and in verse 10. The last two fill in the blanks is simply the same. God showed real love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his son. This is real love. Believers must not only say that they love, love must be shown by their actions. This also follows God's example, for he showed his love by a very clear and definite action. How much? By sending his one and only son, that we might have eternal life. So our love must be translated into action one toward the other. In the previous chapter, he says, how can, you, how can you say you love one another when you see a brother or sister in need and you have plenty and you don't share what you have with them? And then he's talking about this sacrificial type of love, this love that, that God gave his son. We should live in such a way toward each other. Again, this is a family letter. We, the church, are to demonstrate this love so the world will see the love that God has for them 
and be convicted of their sin and come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. You are on display for others to see. The church is on display for others to see. The real love, the real genuine love. Not this love the world talks about today that, that if you love me, you got to let me do and, and act the way I want to act and, 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 and just be the way I want to be. You have to accept me in my sin and all, in my bondage. No, biblical agape love calls you to your divine purpose. Biblical agape love calls you to a higher purpose that's found in God. See, love plus confrontation equals growth. And it's so important that we love and we confront in love through truth of God's word and that truth will bring conviction and that conviction will activate faith and faith will call upon Jesus. And when you call upon Jesus, you shall be saved. That was what happened in your life. Someone showed you God's love. God's love brought his truth to your life. His truth brought conviction. That conviction caused faith to be activated in your life. And in faith, you called upon the name of Jesus. And whosoever shall call upon his name shall be saved. It begins with love. Today, we'll take communion together. And it's all because God loved us. Communion speaks about God's love. The bread, the juice magnifies the love of God. Jesus said, as oft as you do this, you do this in remembrance of me. Remembering what? Remembering his sacrifice. Remembering God's love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Have you experienced this love for yourself? Do you know this life transforming love today you can today you can know this love let us pray this is real love not that we love God but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. There no longer has to be a separation between you and the Father. That sin no longer has to be a barrier for Jesus came to take away the barrier called sin. but you have to activate his gift in your life by calling upon his name, by believing in your heart, and by confessing him as your Lord.
For if you confess him as you, Lord, as you call upon his name, you shall be saved. This morning, as every head is bowed and the eye is closed, I want to give you opportunity to surrender your life to Christ. Maybe you've been dealing with some secret sin. Maybe you've been dealing with some struggle, some stronghold in your life. Maybe you've been in church week after week, month after month, and, and yes, you're doing your best, but you need the divine power of God to break some stuff in your life. You need God to totally transform you. If that's you today, just simply raise your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. I see those hands. You at home, just signify right now. Make acknowledgement today that God will work and move in your life. Father, we call upon the name of Jesus. We ask you to wash us and cleanse us. We believe you are the Son of God. We believe you died for our sins. And we know that you arose on the third day. Today, God, destroy the power and the works of the enemy in our lives. And may the righteous character of God be formed in us. Jesus, Jesus, we love you. Amen and amen. Let's give the Lord a clap offering today. I want us all to stand together as we prepare to take communion. The ushers are going to come forward. And if you have not received the elements as they come forward and begin to make their way to the back, if you'll just raise your hand, we'll make sure that you receive the elements today so we can all partake of communion together. We ask that you hold the elements so we can partake of communion as a family today. Bless the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. The Apostle Paul writes in his letter to Corinthians, I pass on to you which I receive from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks for God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and he said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Will you hold the bread with me? Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you. God the Son, we lift your name high. For you became flesh and lived and dwelt among us. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your love. We know love because God first loved us. This is real love. And Jesus, we do this in remembrance of you. You lived, you died, and you arose again. We ask you to bless this bread in Christ's name. Amen. Can we break it together and then take it? Let's take the bread.
In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Father, we hold this cup in our hand, recognizing that we are living in the new covenant. This cup represents and reminds us of the sufferings of our Lord, that Jesus was rejected for us, that he was beaten so that we might be healed and made whole. And Lord, I pray as we drink this cup today, we do so in faith, we do so remembering, we do so declaring you're coming again. And I pray the healing power of Jesus Christ will flow through our lives, the healing power of Jesus Christ to flow through our homes, the healing power of Jesus Christ to flow through our minds and our bodies. We ask these things in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us take the cup together. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Oh, pray.